insured software provider. And each year we have a conference. And each conference is in different places. They'll have it in Orlando and at the Disney Resort or in Atlanta at the CNN Tower. And all this will last about two weeks ago. Um, it was in Nashville. And um, they only send about 100 to 150 of the employees to the conferences because our company's so big. And this year was a very interesting theme. Um, I've never seen a theme like this before. In fact, I was real interesting because I got the theme first, and um, the first theme part was go. Now, I'm not pulling up Superman here on you. I just want to show you the t-shirts because each day, each employee has a different t-shirt, all with the same theme. And it just says go. But then the rest of the theme was and make disciples. Now, it was interesting, and it said Jesus on the bottom of it, who was the author of that quote. And uh, it was interesting to see how our employees reacted to it, because some of the employees said, well, I'm not going to wear that shirt after I leave the convention. See, what it was, a lot of them wanted to go down to Broadway and get drunk that night. And they had convictions about wearing these shirts and the honky-tonks about going into a place and making disciples. And I'm watching this, how you could see the people that were truly committed, and I'm not saying it's my works or anything, but the people that are not ashamed of the gospel were saying, hey, I'm taking Christ wherever I am, regardless of what I'm wearing. But there were some people that, first time I've ever seen this, they were giving the t-shirts away as soon as they wore them that day dirty, because our clients love these shirts. I don't know why they, they think, because they can't get them, they're only for employees, they were giving them away. So I found the person who was in charge of a marketing. I said, you know, thank you for setting standards. Because what it was challenging is that the church is designed to make disciples. And I'm thinking, God, I'm on a series about fishing. I mean, we could have been talking about anything during this time of the year. But it's about making decisions. I um, wanted to give you an interesting fact about Mark Twain. Mark Twain loved to go fishing. But Mark Twain hated to catch fish. Now, let me tell you why. You see, when Mark Twain wanted to get a loan, people bothered him. Or, if they saw him sitting, they started calling him lazy. So what Mark realized was that if he took a fishing rod, a bobber, and went down by the river and just threw that out with no hook, everybody left him alone. It's pretty clever, because, oh, he's over there fishing, he's relaxing, he's doing something. But in reality, he wasn't doing anything at all because he did. his desire was not to catch fish. And I think today in the church, there's a lot of people that are walking around with their pole and their bobber, but there's no hook on it. There's no bait because their desire is not to catch fish. And that's where Jesus says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And I want to make sure that if we're going to be fishers of men, not only do we have the right equipment, but that we have the right hook, that we're at the right place, and we have the right bait so that if God decides to use us to bring other people in that relationship, we're ready. The way we live our lives truly affects other people. The, true, the way that we react, the way we respond, the way that we are is always being watched. And I'm not talking about NSA cameras. I'm talking about by our, 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 our family members. I'm talking by people that we work with, our neighbors, our, our, our co-workers. And the way that we react can truly have an effect on people for eternity. Let's take a look at what Jesus told us right before he ascended to heaven. And he tells us in Acts 1.8, he says, 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you. And then you will be my witnesses to testify me about in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Now, if you apply the rules of grammar to that statement right there, being a witness for Christ was not a choice. It's not an option for a follower of Christ. It is our identity in Christ that we are to go out and to make a difference in other people's lives. Service, um, sorry about that. Guys, you did a great job getting them back on track today um, during worship. I want to tell you, I appreciate it. Thank you. So let's give the sound team a hand too. Because it's the same assumption that Jesus also shared in Matthew 28, 19. It says, so wherever you go, make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus is saying is as you're going or while you're going or since you're already going to be going, go and make disciples. It's not if you're going to be going, it's as you're going. Kind of as you're leaving today, would you do this? There's an assumption that all of you will be leaving this building. I don't think Danny and, and Lane would like, for, uh, they'd love your help, but then at a certain point, you need to leave. So as you're going today, do this. And that's what Jesus is saying in this passage. And the question is not, is raised is not, will, will we be a witness but what kind of a witness will we be? In the court system, there are different levels of witnesses. If you want to be pre-law, listen to this part, okay? There are lay witnesses, and this is someone who observed events, they're pertinent to the case, they're their average Joe who simply gets up and just shares what they saw. Then there are independent expert witnesses, and these are doctors and lawyers and other professionals who are directly involved with the case they bring their professional insights and they share what they know from a professional standpoint. There is a controlled expert witness, and this is a professional who is paid to give their testimony. They're the hired guns. They're the ones that come in with their PhDs and, their, and they say why you responded this way, and it's not your fault, it's society's fault, and we put, gave you too much money as a child, and now that's the reason why you're behaving, or we didn't give you enough money as a child, or whatever the case may be. Then there's also a hostile witness. And this is a witness who is expected to, to be difficult while being questioned. Whether they like it or not, they are called to sit on that. There are also two attorneys when there's some witnesses. There's an offense attorney and a prosecuting attorney. And when you get up and you share your statement, there will be an opposing attorney that's going to come up and try to twist your words. There's going to be an attorney that's going to try to make you doubtful in what you've seen or what you've experienced. Did you really see that, Chish? Were you close enough to really see what you thought you saw? I see that you wear glasses. How far can you see without your glasses? All of a sudden she's thinking, well, maybe, maybe I, I didn't see that. Maybe, and see, so their whole job is to twist our testimony to make us irrelevant to the case. Satan is that other attorney that is trying to constantly take what you've experienced and said, did you really experience healing? Was that really, did you really, when you ask God into your heart, did you really feel any difference? I don't think so. I mean, look at your life. Look at, look at all the problems that are going around you. Does God really love you? Does anybody love you? That's what Satan is constantly bombarding you with as you are trying to be a witness for Christ. We have to realize this, ladies and gentlemen that we are in a spiritual warfare. 
that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and rulers of darkness. There are rulers of darkness that will try to discourage you from even sharing simple things that you know are basic truths about Christ. And we have a society now that's politically correct to accept every religion except Christianity. Man, if you want to read the Quran in the school, oh, hey, we don't want to mess with that. But bring a Bible or let a child bring a Bible. All of a sudden, for a country that was based on biblical foundations, we have problems and issues. The call for the disciples to be witnesses in Jerusalem was basically calling them to go fishing in their own pond. We all have ponds that God has put us in. You may not realize that some of your ponds are bigger than others, but all of us have a pond. These are people that know you, people that I will never meet, people that respect you, people that when they're going through a crisis situation will go to you and won't think of coming to the church. These are people that have been watching you as a coworker or a family member or a neighbor, sees you leaving for church every Sunday morning just watching to see if there's any difference. See, it remains a call for us to fish in our own ponds because God has placed us in a way to capture the hearts of some of our family members, our friends, our co-workers. He's placed us there to be a witness to them, to just share what God's done in our lives. You don't have to have a PhD to know your story. See, Satan will try to lie to you saying you're not knowledge enough in the word to be able to share your, your story. Let me give you a very basic story. I was once a sinner and God came into my life and saved me. And he healed me. And he restored my life. And he's given me peace. And he's still working in my life. I am not perfect, but one day I will be. That's the basic truth. And that's what God has done for everyone who has received his son as Savior. So I want to go through five very quick points today on how that first century church made disciples. What was effective for them? Point number one, we need to pray like we have never prayed before. Prayer, number one. Acts 1.14, the apostles had a single person purpose as they devoted themselves to prayer. They were joined by some women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and they were joined by his brothers. See, I think we read through the book of Acts like an action novel. We really do, okay? If you've ever done a Bible study, man, we hit the highlights of Acts. We hit where Christ ascends, and that's really cool. Then we go into Pentecost. That's another great story. Then there's the healing of the layman. Okay, we love that. Then there's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. How dare they lie to the church? Okay? Ooh, that's pretty cool. But there's things in between all of those great points that we need to look at. Acts 1.14, as they devoted themselves to prayer. Acts 2.42, the disciples were devoted to the teaching of the apostles, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread into prayer. Acts 4.24, when the apostles heard this, they were united and loudly prayed to God. Master, you have made the sky, the land, and the sea, and everything in them. 
so do you see what I'm saying is between all of these great points that we love to hear and be preached on, there is constant prayer happening between every one of those chapters. So why do we think that that's an option for us? The number one thing that we should do as a church period is to be praying. We need to be praying for Dino and the worship team. We need to be praying. You need to be praying for your pastor and his family. You need to be praying for this church. As you drive past a church, you need to be praying for that church. Oh, I don't go to that church. That's not my denial. We are the body of Christ. And if they lift up the name of Jesus Christ, they are a part of us. Okay? We are responsible to be praying and lifting them up. We don't know what they're doing, but we know that we'll do the right thing. And that is praying that they will be effective. That when you drive past a church and say, Father, I thank you that the name of Jesus will be lifted up. I thank you that people will be drawn. I pray that that church will go out. You see, that's what's happened. The church has gotten too inwardly focused, not outwardly focused. Praying is going to teach us where we need to go fishing. How would we think about going fishing for people just sharing our story with someone without consulting God first, without asking for the Holy Spirit to move in the lives of the people? I'm going to tell you that if you go up to strangers and start witnessing, not every person will receive. But it's a process. It shows that God loves them. If somebody took the time out of their day to go and tell them that God loves them. And all of a sudden they're processing that. And it may be at 2 in the morning. And they're laying there thinking, why did that person come and talk to me today? And why has it been for the last three weeks somebody's been walking up to me in every different part of my life and telling me the same thing? All of a sudden they start putting the dots together because the Holy Spirit is working to convict them. And we are just a part of that puzzle. We want to be the whole puzzle. We are a little tiny piece. If my life is in, I'm, I'm probably that little dot of a snowflake on the whole puzzle of life, okay? But that's me. Woohoo! Okay? And everyone around me, I'm going to impact with because I'm going to connect with them. And then overall, we become that tapestry, that beautiful puzzle that God wants the church to be. The power of prayer is really the power of God realized. Acts 2.21 says, Then whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Man, that's fundamental for us to know. It's not through works, it's through crying out to Christ. It's through mercy and grace that we're saved. Not by our, our name or our, our gifts or our abilities or our looks. We're privileged to be on God's team. Yet if we don't try to reach people without first consulting God, we're lost. We can't help people without prayer. Prayer still has the power to produce incredible results. Acts 4.31 says that when the apostles had finished praying, their meeting place shook. Can you imagine being part of that kind of prayer meeting? Where this studio just starts shaking because of the power of God? Have you ever walked into a place where the presence of God is so evident that you, you feel like just hitting your knees? And that's going to come through prayer. That's going to come through this church in prayer. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the word of God boldly. You see, we have family members who are messing up their lives. We have neighbors who are in trouble. We have co-workers that have no moral compass. And they'll tell you about it every Monday morning when they're telling you what they did over the weekend. And you're thinking, you'd be arrested in most states for all of what you did. 
And yet they're bragging about it. What are we bragging about? Only God can soften the hearts of the people. Only God can open their minds. But he also needs people to be his hands and feet. And that's what we're called to. Point number two is to show the love of the church family. Acts 2.42 tells us the disciples were devoted to the teachings of the apostles, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. But what you need to know here is that at the end of Acts, two, uh, at the end of Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people had just come into the church. 3,000 people to a small group. They were a little overwhelmed. And yet we see how they live. And what they lived was a life of community. It wasn't the, hi, how are you doing during the meet and greet. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Man, those few minutes, I love looking out and seeing you all hand, just hug and, and handshake and talk. But the church body has to be doing more than that if we're going to ever connect. If your goal is how quickly can you get out of this parking lot instead of who could I take to lunch today? No, that's not a hint. I want you to take, you guys, this group, take this group out, this group, take that group out, okay? And I'll just be smiling the whole time. Because that's how we grow as a community. That's how we grow as a church. Knowing each other, what we're going through. How do I pray for you? How are your children doing? How's your work situation? And that doesn't come up during the few minutes of meet and greet. We have to start knowing and loving each other before we're going to know and love people outside these four walls. Believers need to get involved in acts of love for other believers. Acts 4.47 says, At the same time they praised God and had the goodwill of all people. Every day the Lord saved people and they were added to the group. Point number three, we need to serve those outside of God's family. Our love for each other is beautiful, but if we don't love people outside the church, we're hypocrites. See, the word tells us that God is love. We're to, we're to reflect God, so we're to reflect God's love. But we can't do that when we judge who we want to love. When we point a finger at things that we see wrong with other people. What happens when the church becomes judgmental is we're no longer fishers of men. We're keepers of the aquarium. where lost people are. That's where they are. And that's where the church needs to go. And not say, well, we'll bring them in here. No, we first have to go to them. We have to love them. We have to get our feet wet if we're going to go fishing. As witnesses, we have to step into the lives of those who have, are outside of Christ. In Acts 3, Peter and John are on their way to the temple to pray, and a lame man is there, and, and this is one of the, the highlights of Acts, and, is, and he's asking for alms, and every day he lays there and he begs people, and all of a sudden, Peter and John stop, and says, you know what, I don't have any money, and some of y'all might be able to relate to that, okay, he says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have, I can't give to you, and in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. 
Now, that statement came through prayer and preparation, okay? Some of us need to get off the internet. Some of us need to get off TV. Some of us need to start spending more time in prayer. And as we're going, God's going to say, pray for that person. And we're going to see what we saw in Acts 3. Because the Word of God says greater things than this will we do. But we have to make the right thing the right thing and the main thing the main thing. Getting rid of distractions. We had dish TV up until midnight tonight. It's being disconnected. Dish wanted to talk us into all these other options. Well, we'll do this, we'll do this, we'll do this. I said, no, it's a distraction. One night I'm sitting there and I'm like, why am I watching all this junk? I should be praying. I should be reading my Bible. I should be doing this. But it was just entertaining junk. It wasn't bad, but it was just junk. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like, have you ever had a meal? I'm, I'm not picking on any kind of restaurant. But have you ever just gone to a restaurant and the food was just blah? Yes. I mean, there was like no flavor to this. It was somewhat filling, but you're like, why did I eat that? There was no nutritional value to that whatsoever. And just because Taco Bell puts cheese in a flour tortilla on it doesn't make it any more interesting, okay? They've got more quasi quesadilla does this and it's like, Okay? We need to... I have no idea how I got on this tainted of food. Okay. There's distractions, and we need to make the main thing the main thing. And I'm not telling you to get rid of your cable or whatever you have, but I'm asking us to start spending more time in prayer. And if there are distractions in your life, get rid of them. Okay? Because the days of just going through motions as a church are over. There is a hurting, dying world out there that is spending a crisis eternity, and we're sitting there watching HDTV, How to Redecorate Our Pillows. And I saw that show. That's the sad thing about it, okay? You know, it says confess your sins one to another. Okay, guys, I just lost the point, I know. But you know, I'm like, there's other things I should be doing right now. We need to make a difference in other people's lives. And if we're going to try to make an eternal difference, we may need to start making a temporary difference in people's lives. That means we have to get involved in their lives. Say, how can I help you? Have you ever mowed a yard for a neighbor for no reason because you just wanted to be a blessing to them? Have you ever taken groceries to someone that you, you know needed it? Not so that you would get credit or glory that there was nothing for you, but just something? This is how we love others. And some people need to see that before they start softening their heart. Because they've been taught that everything has a catch to it. Everything has something. There is no free lunch. Take them to lunch for free. Pay for somebody's lunch behind you. In a drive-thru. Would, would you just tell them that God loves them? You see, service goes a long way. If you read through the book of John, you'll see that that was Christ's example in everything. You see, what would happen is Jesus served and then he taught them. Jesus fed them and then he taught them. Jesus healed them and then he taught them. There was always action and teaching going on all the time with Christ. 
He didn't just go up and say, I'm going to speak to you, I'm going to get my offering, and then I'm going to leave. No, he was interacted in their lives, and that's throughout all the Gospels. He injected himself into people's lives. He sat with prostitutes. He sat with sinners. He had dinner with people that probably you and I wouldn't. said, well, I just don't feel accepted in church because of my tattoos. That's been a lie of Satan for way too long. And I don't care if they're pierced or they're tattooed or they stink or they're drunk, bring them in. And we'll love them. We'll sit by you, but we'll love them, okay? That's what the church needs to be doing 24-7. Point number four. I told you these were going to go fast. We need to live a transformed life. We see in Acts 4 where Peter and John are being brought into religious leaders. I want you to know these are the same religious leaders a couple weeks ago brought Christ before, trumped up charges, brought false witnesses in, made a stink to the Roman government, and had him crucified. But I also want you to know that Peter was the same guy a couple weeks ago denied that he ever knew him three times something interesting happened in the first few chapters of Acts. Acts 4, 13, and after they found out that Peter and John had no education or special training, they were surprised to see how boldly they spoke. They realized that these, that these men had been with Jesus. compliment you can ever get in your life is for somebody to say that person's been with Jesus. Not what list of billionaires you're on or whatever you've done that you would live your life if they'd say that person's been with Jesus. These were uneducated men. People that just had denied Christ a couple weeks before. Okay? But they experienced God in a way that changed them. And they experienced God in a way that they started telling everybody about it. And they didn't care who was saying don't. And the more that the religious leaders said don't, the more they did. We need to live lives where people said, those people have been with Jesus. Those people don't treat us like other churches have treated us. Or other Christians have treated us. Being with Jesus changed them. And they were being observed. Yet the number one reason that most people reject Christianity is because of the inconsistent, ungracious, and ungodly lives of followers of Christ. Why would they want to become Christian when Christians are just as likely to get a, cheat, a, cheat their employers, be addicted to prescription drugs, watch and be able to discuss the same television programs that they're watching, need counseling, can be addicted to pornography. Why do I need your Jesus? You see, everything that we're telling everybody at the water cooler or everything that we're posting on Facebook is being watched by other people. And if they're not seeing Christ in you, then why do I need what you have? 
They may even be so you're more messed up than I am. Will Rogers said to live your life that you would not be ashamed to sell the family parrot to the town gossip. My Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, and in the same way, let your light shine before people so that when they see you, the good that is in you and praise your Father in heaven, said that many Christians are like the Arctic River. They're frozen at the mouth. In evangelism, you're basically just telling the truth. What is the truth? Acts 2.36 God has made Jesus who crucified both Lord and Christ. Acts 3.15 You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Acts 4.12 Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to man which we must be saved. You see, the very clear story is all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Believe in the name of Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Confess. That's the truth. Tell what God did in your life. You see, we can make a difference in other people. Starting Thursday night, we're going to just teach you scriptures that you might want to know if you want to share your, your story. We have evangelism and outreach. Evangelism are going to be those who will want to go out with others. We're already scheduling some people that Austin knows from UTA that will go out with us, that do evangelism, so that you're not being going out for the very first time by yourself. The easiest way is to go out with a few others and just watch them talk to people about Christ. But then there's an outreach team. Now outreach teams are where we're going to just go and serve. We're going to hand out water bottles. We're just going to tell people, hey, we're, we're here handing out free water bottles. Would you like one? Or would, would you like to do this? Or we're there to serve. Whenever we say evangelism or outreach, you should, first thought shouldn't be, oh, that's not for me. It's what part can I serve in? What part, God, do you want me to do? Am I going to be one of those on the evangelism team? Maybe I'll go out and see how it is first. Maybe I'm going to be behind the scenes and I'll just serve. Just find your part. Because that's what the church was designed to do. That's what the church is required to do. To go out into their world. And to love them where they are. And see if they will come in our world so we can love them more and teach them who Christ is. Jesus said that we're to be his witnesses. What kind of witnesses are we going to be? Two weeks ago I asked, if we're fishers and men, what kind of bait are we? Are we attractive to other people that would want what we have? Do they see in us what they don't have? Christ is our hope. Christ is our peace. He's our joy. He's our strength. He's my provider. He's my healer. He's my morning star. 
my lion pride of Judah. He's so much to me, I don't even think I could sit here and list it for you. But if I keep that to myself, then there's a lot of people that are going into a crisis eternity as I just sit there and glorify all that he is to me. Father, I thank you for this beautiful family of believers who come out on a rainy day to worship you, to love you. God, I pray that you would just challenge our hearts to love you more, to spend more time in prayer, to get distractions out of our life, whatever it is, God. In a way, fast those things that have been distracting us away from you. I also ask God that you would put a desire in our heart to pray like we've never prayed. Pray for our family members, those who need Christ, strength, wisdom, and opportunity. Father, you said that if we would lift you up, you would draw all men unto you. Father, we boldly proclaim the name of Jesus. We're willing to wear your name on our t-shirts. I ask God that you would move mightily. Not only with families, but if your son doesn't return soon, generations would be changed. Father, I, I truly believe that we're in the last days and that Christ is coming back soon. And forgive us for occupying the things that are not that important. I thank you, Father, for every man, woman, child that is here today. I thank you, God, for their hearts. And Lord, I pray that you would radically change this ministry through prayer, through love, through outreach, changing this community one soul at a time. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. That's my heart. Thursday night, come, just listen. We're not going to throw you in front of people. We're going to show you how to share your faith questions of people that will get them to tell you about themselves. Teach you scriptures that all Christians really should know anyways. Discuss opportunities and outreach opportunities. 
get some feedback from you. Where do you think we should be going? Sharing ideas. And then going out and being the church. So I'd love to see you Thursday at 6.30. Y'all stand. We'd like to speak a blessing over you. Thank you for coming today. And according to God's word, may the Lord bless you and protect you. And may the Lord smile upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. So go in his peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for coming. I have some good news. This room can stay set up. All we have to do is tear down the lobby and the nursery.